Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, welcome. So today's episode is why timeouts suck and what else we can do. And I'm going to get to my point via the long way because a thing happened the other day that sort of made me lose my shit. A couple of weeks ago, I did a interview with Alana McGinn of Goodnight Sleep Site on Instagram. Super fun. I love doing live interviews and I'm sort of lining up other people to interview. And, you know, I had I had it on my feed and this I had the hashtag. I have a couple of hashtags, you know, mindful parenting, respectful parenting. And this woman comes on and like reams me for being uh, for using the hashtag respectful parenting and using traditional sleep training. And, you know, I was trying to be very respectful with her. And I was like, hey, listen, like, you know, first of all, this is my first interview. If you would like me to interview somebody else with a different style, that's cool. You could just ask. But also it just went up my ass sideways that this woman thought she got to define what respectful parenting means. It really aggravated me because you guys, none of us get to define that. And that is the shit that's bringing us down, right? Because everybody knows best. Everybody has this idea of what parenting should look like, what it looks like to be a respectful or a mindful parent. And I'm telling you, I work with thousands of parents and this looks different for everyone. You don't get to define that for another family. I don't get to define that for another family. Yeah, this is your value system. That's between you and your spouse or your partner. If you're a single parent, it's it's all you, but no one gets to define that for you. And that's the shit that's making us crazy because we've got all these know-it-all parents who are like, this is the only way. It is not the only way, okay? And, and I think one of the places that this comes out and this is what makes us so crazy is when we have to talk about discipline, when we have to talk about the ugly side of parenting and, and what to do when your kid is acting super crappy, what to do when you've sort of lost the power dynamic in your house and, and it's a runaway train and your kid's got all the power. Yeah, respectful, mindful parenting, super easy when your kid's being like, quote unquote, good, right? When your kid is well-behaved and listening to you, fuck you guys, everybody can parent, right? (laughs) That's not what makes parenting hard. It's when things get ugly. So I thought this was really poignant because we were talking about this in my coaching circle. And I had a mama say, thank you for saying that power struggles happen that they can be ugly, and that we as parents have to sort of win the power struggle. I follow a lot of modern parenting advice, and I I keep feeling like if there's even a power struggle at all, somehow I'm at fault. Oh my God, you guys. This is what's wrong, right? Is that if your child is less than perfect, if your relationship with your child is less than perfect, then somehow you must be royally fucking it up. And this goes up my butt sideways. There are parts to parenting that just get ugly. We are raising freaking humans. And guess what? We're human too. 
We come loaded with our own stuff, our own DNA, our own filters, our own backgrounds, and our own upbringing. Guess what? We all have a range of human emotions, the full range of human emotions, which means we react. Our kids react. We act like assholes. Our kids act like assholes. We react to them being assholes. They react to us being assholes, right? Do you think you can sit back and be everything to your kids, including consistently calm and cool and collected all the time is utter bullshit. It's completely narcissistic and there's utter hubris in thinking you can always just be gently observing your child's behavior and not let it affect you. In fact, you guys, that's kind of creepy and it's very inauthentic and it's very not real and it's not modeling any real behavior for your child. It's good to model good, healthy, normal reactions. If you are connected to a person, you are going to have reactions in life, in Buddhism. If you've ever read the four agreements, yeah, we want to minimize our reactions. Yeah, there's a philosophy that everyone exists in their own orbit. They're not doing shit to piss you off. They're just running their own train. However, our children are not the same. Oftentimes, they are, in fact, trying to activate our emotions. Yes, yes, yes. Some of it is pure old-fashioned limit testing. Some of it is a call to attention, which, as a side note, please pay attention. Yeah, one of my least favorite things is when people say, oh, he's just doing that for attention. Dude, pay attention. Give him attention. (laughs) And some of it is your child figuring out their brains, their bodies, and all of their emotions. In our last episode, we talked about anxiety. And one of the things I mentioned that parents today are hugely anxious looking for the magic code, right? There's like, there's some magic code to raising the perfect child. And I see this most often with the attachment parenting paradigm. And there are some fiends within the attachment parenting paradigm. And I don't say that lightly. In some circles, attachment parenting gets fanatical and nearly religious, I truly believe our kids are here in a very spiritual way to carve their own path. Yeah, they've chosen us as guides. And I think in one of the last episodes I used it, we're like the bumpers in a bowling lane, right? You guys, we can't create the perfect human. Yeah, they come loaded, preloaded with all their stuff, right? Our job is to guide them. We want to teach them. Yeah, our job is to teach them boundaries, emotional wisdom, how to be kind in this human experience, how to have this human experience, right? This leads to teaching. The word discipline is derived from the Latin word to teach. Yes, we need to teach our children. We need to figure out what to do when our kids act shitty, yeah? And they act shitty for many, many reasons. Here's where it gets tricky. They're always acting crappy for a reason. Behavior is not random, even if it is just to be silly or to be a jerk, right? I love this saying. There's a a meme I've seen on Facebook that I love, and it's, I think everything happens for a reason, even if that reason is I'm a big, dumb jerk. And that's pretty much my philosophy, yeah? I do think things spiritually happen for a reason, but also sometimes I'm just an idiot. The same goes for our kids. Same. It's our job to figure out what that reason is, right? Is their emotional gas tank full? Have you filled their power bucket with age-appropriate power? 
Are they well slept? Are they eating good food? Have they had big play? Are they sensory seeking? How can you help with that? Are they looking for attention? You guys, this is my entire new book, almost 300 pages of how to mitigate all that crappy behavior, how to figure out what's underneath the behavior you're seeing, because the behavior is a symptom. There's something else that's the disease. There's a feeling under the behavior that's creating the behavior, right? And so we want to do everything in our power to mitigate that crappy behavior by addressing all of those things. And that's really what respectful parenting is about. But this is the thing, guys, and this is where I think I differ in the world of parenting. And this is where it does get super tricky. So hang tight with me. First of all, like with what I call inside out parenting, the basis of my new book, being super mindful and respectful, it takes time. That's not a quick fix, right? And the reality is in the real world, we do occasionally need a quick fix. I am so, so, so in the camp that our kids are little humans and we should treat them with the same grace and respect we treat all other humans. It's perfectly fine if your house is not a democracy. We can be in that camp and not evenly split the power with our children. There have to be times where you have the power, yeah? Because you know more. You've been on the planet more. Because where your child is developmentally, they are not capable of handling 50% of the power all the time. Which means there are going to be times that you don't have the time or the wherewithal to stop and process these emotions. You won't have the energy or the fortitude in that moment to dig deep and try to ascertain what's behind this little guy's behavior right now. What's going on? And this is where the timeouts come in, right? Enter the timeout. Originating in 1968 by Arthur Statz, this was a new way of disciplining that wasn't using physical force or violence. Remember, this was a time when beating and hitting kids was still perfectly acceptable. Timeouts are, without a doubt, a form of discipline. And so what I find in my work is parents are just so afraid of that word. In fact, the chapter name in my new book is the dirty D word, right? People don't want to talk about discipline. It conjures up, I think, corporal punishment. It conjures up this like strict authoritarian view of parenting. And it doesn't have to be that way. Again, if we go back to the roots of the word, it's to teach. And sometimes we have to teach in various ways. I want to digress for a minute and take a moment to dissect two words commonly that come up when we talk about discipline, which are punishment versus consequences. And these often get mixed up. And I am aware of, I don't know if it's attachment parenting based or if it's just, I don't know, there's such a wide spectrum of parenting advice out there. But this is definitely on the, uh, I guess, the hippie or dippier side, right? Which is the idea that punishment and consequences are the same and they are not. And I've heard this from sort of ironically militant, quote unquote, respectful parenting. And and it, it makes me laugh because I go back to this this little interaction I had on Instagram with this this woman. And I was like, wow, you're being totally disrespectful and yet talking about how to be a respectful parent. And I was like, I'm not really sure that's like how it works, right? If we're going to be respectful, we should probably be respectful <laughs> in all areas, right? But it's it's really ironic. It's like this uh, this militant thing about being mindful, which is such a weird paradox. Anyway, 
back to punishment versus consequences, they are uh, not the same at all. Punishment is punitive. Largely, it's a, a feeling of being heated and you want to sort of get back at your kid. And that, that sounds sort of ugly, but we have to look at our own behavior so we can fix it, so we can fully own it, right? And I, I know working with parents, I, as a mom, right? Your kid does something shitty and you're like, oh, you just you want to do something back, right? That's punishment. You will probably feel very heated. You will feel angry. It's a sort of tit for tat. You did this, so I'm going to do that, right? And largely speaking, there's no warning. Your child does something and you immediately react with a punitive action. So that's punishment. And punishment happens, I think, in real life, it really does happen because especially the more dangerous the action that your child took, the more reactive we're going to be and sort of slam that down with a punitive action. I'm not a fan of punishment. I don't think it's very effective. I think largely it comes out of the blue for the child. And so it's scary and I think it's shameful. And I don't know that it's terribly effective consequences are a part of life. Yeah. And consequences like time out, like good job, like be careful. It's just one of those words that gets overused. And so I think it becomes watered down, right? Like, oh, I'm going to give you a consequence. Here's the deal. Consequences are a part of life. Literally everything we do has a consequence, whether it's good or bad. Sometimes what happens, though, is the real-life consequence is too dangerous. And I am a huge fan of real-life consequences. I tell parents, you know, when they're potty training, if you don't bring a change of clothes and your child has an accident, you have to leave. And they feel bad about that. They feel like that's a punishment. No, it's not a punishment, you guys. If you or I peed our pants at an event, we would have to leave, right? That's a very natural consequence. And so as much as possible, we want to work with natural consequences. They are just a part of life, yeah? But oftentimes what happens is the real life consequence is too dangerous. So we have to make one up, right? Like, for example, we don't let kids figure out the real life consequences of running in the parking lot, right? We can't. We can't let them figure out that real life consequence. It could mean death. So we make one up. If you don't hold my hand in this parking lot right now, you won't get that prize at Target or whatever it is that you have enacted as a, as a consequence. Yeah. So consequences are not punishment and we have to remember that. So here's my trip with timeouts. They're neither a punishment nor a consequence, right? I think. I think they suck. At best, I think they're overused. Too many parents misuse the notion. And I think basically they're ineffective. I think at the worst, the down part of them is they're very alienating for the child and they're really bathing the child in shame. I am a huge proponent of avoiding shame in our kids. There's natural shame that just comes very naturally again to use an easy example, if you poop your pants, I would hope your child feels a sense of shame at a certain age because our socialized behavior is that we poop in the toilet, right? And again, if you or I are sitting there talking at a cafe and I poop my pants, I would probably feel a very natural shame about it, right? So there is some natural shame, but we don't want to ever cover our kids in shame. Brene Brown, if you've never heard of her, please Google her. She is huge right now and she works, she's a shame researcher and she really works with people in dismantling shame. And I think it's amazing because we all 
have these shames that we have from childhood and they can be big or little, but shame, oh my God, shame is so limiting. It, it keeps our hearts in, in a little box and it makes us not want to do anything sort of brave. So I really am a big fan of not doing that for our kids. And I think a lot of times timeouts do just that. I think the thing that really gets me though about timeouts is I hear, I just hear it so ubiquitously and misused. You know, do you want a timeout? Do you want a timeout with zero follow through? It becomes an empty threat. And then the other thing is that if you do give your kid a timeout, we watch a kid in timeout, either they wildly resist it, right? They freak out. That's a really good sign that your child's bathed in shame. Nobody likes a shameful feeling. So they're like going crazy to avoid that feeling. Yeah. Or you know that they sit there and they're like totally focused on like their the hem of their shirt or they'll be super engrossed in something. It's not like they're sitting there thinking, oh, gee, I, I really, I probably shouldn't have hit that kid. My mom was right to put me in this time out and think about it. <laughs> they're not doing that. So it's not really effective. I, I think we don't give timeouts too much thought, right? I think they're fairly new on the parenting spectrum, but enough, enough of a generation has gone by that they're sort of the accepted way to discipline, right? We don't even give it too much thought. It's like kids get timeouts. I think sometimes in the moment, while we're working on all that gentle inside out parenting stuff in the background, we do need to do something immediately. Right. So I, I have a list and these things can be used together. They can be used separately. They're just tools for your tool bag. Yeah. Pull them out as necessary. And these are going to help with the now ubiquitous saying connection before correction. And I love that saying. I'm glad it's ubiquitous. I'm glad it's all over the place. Right. If we're just doing a punitive action on our child without connecting first, then it is. It's just punishment. It's just punitive and it's ineffective. So let's talk about some things that you can do instead of the almighty time out. Number one, take yourself out of the mix if it's possible. And of course, this is most likely at home. And what you want to do is you want to say something to your child. You don't want to just disappear. You don't want to just suck it in. That can be very passive aggressive. I'm not sure if I've mentioned it here, but Pascal has called me on this many times, which I love him. He's so emotionally wise. <laughs> but I, for me, when I get very, very angry, I like to just be very quiet because I have a mouth like nobody's business. And I've learned throughout my life that I can just, I come out with scathing things and I just say the most hurtful things. And so I just, I suck it in. But what I had to learn over the years is that I'm not just being quiet. I am literally sucking the oxygen out of the atmosphere for like a 50 mile radius. I'm a powerful person, you guys. And when I go quiet, it is crushing. So I had to learn I didn't mean it in a passive aggressive a way, but it was perceived that way, right? Because I was just, you knew what I was feeling, but I wasn't saying a word. So when you take yourself out of the mix, you do want to say something so your child doesn't feel abandoned. Yeah. The angrier you are about whatever action your child took, the more you need to take yourself out of the mix. Yeah. And you can say something like, when you do X, Y, and Z, I get crazy mad. I'm going to take a break so I can calm down before I talk to you. You could even shorten that to say, I'm so angry right now. I need a break. I'll be right back. There's a couple of things going on in here. Yeah. Number one, you are owning your own emotion. You are angry. 
not you made me feel. You guys, this is huge, 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 huge. Nobody can make you feel anything. They can trigger a response that's already sort of preloaded in you, but they cannot make you feel anything. And this is really important for your child's emotional wisdom and their emotional growth. It's really important to remember that and to model that. It is okay to say, when you do this, I get angry, but not you made me feel angry. Yeah? So you're owning your own emotions. I need a break. Take the break. That's modeling great things. I need to go away. I need to take myself out of the situation and I'll be right back. Or I need to calm down before I talk with you. You've just told the child, I'm not leaving forever. I'm not abandoning you. I need a minute to calm down. And this is super effective. Usually what happens is the child actually does start to like freak out a little bit. Yeah. So you can say, you know, give me 10 seconds. I'm going to count to 10. You can close your eyes. You do need to take some space for yourself though. Yeah. Number two, whisper. Whispering is verbal nonviolence. Yes, I learned this in social work. I learned that in the throes of even the most amazing, epic, crazy, violent tantrums, if you whisper, a child will often stop to say what? You will break the train. You will break that that runaway train that happens with, with a super high escalating emotional event with a child. Vocal quality must match vocal quality. You know this. You know this if you fight with your spouse. You know this if you fight with your best friend, right? If you yell, if you start to escalate your vocal quality, the other person is going to match it. Yeah. When we yell, when we escalate a situation, we're throwing shame on the child and we're really abusing our parental power. Yeah. You're, you're escalating the situation. So what you want to do is you want to whisper before it escalates. And whispering is the most effective way to deal with your child when you are in a group setting or a crowd. Yeah. And this goes for big holidays or anything. If your child is starting to act really silly at Thanksgiving day table, you actually can just whisper to them, hey, you're getting kind of silly. Do you need to take a break with me? Or, hey, I'm going to need you to stop that. Yeah. If you, in front of 20 family members, say very loudly, you need to stop what you're doing, I can guarantee you're going to get a stronger reaction and the situation's going to escalate. So whisper, whisper, whisper. It's so effective in so many instances. Number three, get down on their level. In very heated moments, in escalating moments with your child, remember just how it can feel to have someone so much bigger than you towering over you in anger. Super duper threatening. Yeah. Immediately drop to the floor. It becomes so less threatening. And remember, if the situation is escalating, it's because your child is feeling something more. So if they're feeling like, holy shit, this person is coming, is, you know, over me in anger, they're going to react even more violently. Okay. So get down on their level. Number four. Instead of a time out, you can take a time in or simply take a break. Yeah. And I think this is probably one of the most useful things about the classic time out is that they take the child out of the mix. And what happens is, especially if we're around any other person, an escalating child does need to be taken out of the mix. But here's the thing, you guys, your three, four, five-year-old they don't need to be alienated. They need help. Yeah, even if they're just being shitty, but most often they're just being shitty because 
everything's colliding, all their emotions and their brain. It's just too much sensory craziness, right? They need help. So I love, love, love. There's a meme floating around on Facebook. My child isn't giving me a hard time. My child is having a hard time. We need to remember that in these heated moments, yeah? Start utilizing the time in. Buddy, come on, you need a break. Come on, sweetie, let's go. Let's go take a break together, yeah? Then you can help them self-regulate. You can help them calm themselves and you can process what's happening. This break works in just about any deregulating emotional situation. Take a break. Frustrated, take a break. Angry, take a break. Sad, take a break. Which brings us to number five. You can help them physically regulate themselves. Heightened emotions are totally a runaway train at this age. So there's a reason, you know, I worked um, in social work. I, I started working in social work in California, which was a very hands-off, like we didn't do restraints. And then when I moved to Rhode Island, I one of the first things I had to do as a social worker was take a restraint class. And I do, oh, I did not love that. However, restraining children, often it serves two purposes. It keeps you safe. It keeps the child safe, but it also can regulate their emotions. Yeah. Putting your hands on a child, um, skin to skin, especially can physically calm a child and putting pressure helps reduce sympathetic arousal. So even just a big bear hug, if you have a child who deregulates emotionally very often, I highly suggest weighted blankets. They're fabulous. I actually have a friend whose child deregulates pretty often. And it's so funny because the iPad helps him and he's got a lap weighted blanket. And it's really funny because I've seen her in moments sort of just like, like almost throw the weighted blanket on him and it's immediate. He deregulates. I have a, a mama in my coaching circle. We've been working. Her child was showing very sensory seeking behavior. So when he got upset, he would do a lot of like headbutting, a lot of ramming into people, which is sensory seeking. He's looking for feedback. So we have had her roll him up in a, in a blanket, not even a weighted blanket, but almost make a human burrito. And it's been miraculous. The child loves it and he can now start to feel when he's deregulating and he'll say, mama, wrap me up. I need a wrap. I need a wrap. And so it's become this super effective tool at bringing him down and nothing short of miraculous. And the bigger thing is not only does the mama avoid a clash with the child or a situation, but what I love is this child has now gotten a sense, you know, he's young, he's three years old. He's gotten a sense of when he is deregulating and he has a tool now that can help him. And I think, Jesus, is there anything better than that than being super aware of yourself? The idea isn't to have perfectly regulated emotions. The idea is to know when it's gone haywire, right? All right, number six, you want to process the emotions. You do not try to process emotions while the child is deregulated. You don't do that, guys. And I see that all the time is like people trying to get to the meat of what happened. Like, let the child calm down. It can even be processed a little later, yeah? But processing emotions should be in a non-heated moment when everything is super-duper calm, yeah? This is the place where you want to remember the behavior is the symptom. You want to process the disease, quote unquote, right? You want to process the feeling that brought on the behavior. So, so many times we focus on, you know, you shouldn't have hit him. Can you, how would you like it if somebody hit you? 
Guys, stop with the empathy with your average three or four-year-old. They're going to get it. They will show flashes of it, but you're never going to win with a three or four-year-old on, you know, would you like it if they did that to you? Short-lived, they're really not capable of it yet. And again, you will see flashes of it and it will build for sure. It's definitely something we want to constantly model, but don't process emotions like that. You want to process emotions like, it seems to me that you were very frustrated, you know, or you you seemed angry. You know, can we talk about why you were angry? And then you can talk about other ways to deal with it. So that's how you process emotions with, with the very young. Number seven, instead of a timeout, you want to leave. Whenever possible, leaving is going to be your best answer. If your child's starting to be ridiculous, rather than tons of empty threats, just leave. This can be because it's actually what your child needs. They may be overstimulated and they may just need to leave. But this can also be a form of teaching slash discipline, right? We don't get to throw fits in the market. If we did, we'd be asked to leave. So this is an extremely effective way of teaching without being heavy. And again, I get arguments from people, oh, that's a punishment. No, it's not a punishment. It's a real life consequence. Yeah. And it's just super effective and it doesn't have to be heavy. This is kind of just point blank behavior modification, right? You don't have to belabor the point. It doesn't have to be, did you see what you did? You were having a tantrum and I had groceries and we had to leave the store. It doesn't have to be that. It's just, nope, it's time to go. It's time to go. And that's how you make it not heavy and not shameful, you know? This is what happens. It's just time to leave the market, okay? It's time to leave the party. I know, I know you may have been looking forward to whatever party it is, whatever gathering it is. Sometimes though, leaving is the best thing you can do. And I swear to God, you guys, it only takes once or twice and your child really gets it and they will not act ridiculous. They know that you'll just leave. So I just think that's one of the best things. The very best thing is number eight, which is follow through. More than any other, you know, I hear parents getting really their panties in a bunch of like, how am I going to discipline? What kind of discipline are we going to use? You don't even really need too much discipline, you guys, if you follow through with what you say. Okay. I think we've all had the experience of being in a restaurant and a child is, you know, acting silly, maybe throwing food, doing something. And the parents are like, we're going to leave. If you don't stop that, we're going to leave. We have, you have three chances and we're going to leave. They get to three, nothing changes. (laughs) And you're like sitting at another table going, oh my God, please leave. Please leave the restaurant. Right. This is not follow through. So you have to follow through and it doesn't matter in any situation. We often throw out an external consequence, right? Like if you do blah, blah, if you keep throwing sand in the sandbox, we're going to leave. Then we give the kid three chances. Three chances is too many, you guys. One chance. Stop with the three chances. Stop with I'm going to count to three, count to one. One chance. That's all. Because follow through should just be very, very swift and done very confidently. Yeah. No matter what, it's super, super effective. Yeah, whatever it is, I I hear it all the time. You know, if you keep throwing that, I'm going to take it away or we're going to leave and they don't. Follow through, follow through, follow through. All you have to do is follow through a few times and your child's going to get it. The flip side is all you have to do is not follow through for a few times and your child's going to get it. The minute you don't do what you said you were going to do, your child has learned something. 
And I know parents hate to hear that. Take the emotion out of it, you guys. It's it, And it's not a guilt trip on you. If you don't do what you say you were going to do, your child just learns that you aren't going to say what you're going to do. Or you follow through sometimes and not other times. And that's just creating psychological unsafety, right? You're unpredictable, which makes you psychologically unsafe, which keeps your child on eggshells. Not good either. So just follow through. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be ongoing. It really doesn't. It's so funny because I, I had just done a book signing and Pascal came and I had asked his feedback about something. And Pascal was, you know, he stands up at this book signing and he says, no, my mom was like, she was really strict. Like if she said something, she, she did it. We, I remember we had to leave the market because I was, I was crying for candy and she was mad and we just left the market. He said, so I stopped crying for candy. <laughs> so it was kind of cool because he even knows he's like, yeah, she followed through with everything. And then I got in line. <laughs> So, so anyway, it is very, 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 very effective when you follow through and very ineffective, likewise, on the flip side. Number nine, use your mom or dad voice. And I've said this before, dads tend to be really good at this uh, just because they have a lower timber. They tend to take less shit than moms. They're super funny because they just tend to be like, well, I, I told him, you know, I'll even get dads. I'll be working with dads on potty training. And he's like, I told him to go in the potty and and. He didn't. Like, they tend to be very, very concrete. And and I think a lot of it is using that lower timber and not asking permission, right? So you want to cultivate this voice that means business. It can be super duper firm. And we've talked about this in the boundaries episode, right? It can be super duper firm. It has to mean business. What happens is we tend to get wussy when we're out in public. We do that out loud parenting, right? We ask our children. We beg we try to reason with them, right? You guys, you can't reason with this age. And anytime you're like, okay, so you're going to stop misbehaving, okay? You're asking your child. Like they don't have the capability often to get themselves off that track. So cultivate that that mom or dad voice. And it really should, it should just be super firm. I mean business, cut the crap now. And that doesn't have to look like yelling at all. And it doesn't have to look mean at all. And this brings us to the last thing, which is external consequences. Yeah, again, real world, it would be great if we never had to offer up an external consequence, but sometimes we do. You may have to enact it because, you know, you've tried everything on this list or there's just like a dangerous situation happening or you just feel like maybe you need to be holding that parental power wand and that's okay. We all use external consequences throughout childhood. You know, definitely you want to use this list and I I definitely, you know, I'm not just shilling here for my new book, but the whole book is really about how to do all this other stuff to even not get the crappy behavior to begin with. But there's going to be moments where we really do have to use an external consequence. So use these do's and don'ts, though, if you are enacting an external consequence. Number one, don't make empty threats. Yeah. Above all, don't make big threats. Do you know how many times I hear, I hear this out in the world? If you don't stop doing that, you're not coming to Disney with us. 
You guys, you're not leaving your four-year-old home from Disney because they were acting a fool in the market. Don't say shit like that. Don't say big things. You're not coming with us. You're not going to grandma's. Whatever it is, like these big, big things, yeah? Don't make empty threats that you can't keep. Don't threaten. You know, let's say you think this whole episode is bullshit and you're still going to use timeouts. Why would you threaten a timeout while you're in line at the market? You're not going to be able to be swift with that timeout. Three-year-olds can't hold the concept. You're not going to go home and give that kid a timeout. It's going to make no sense to the kid, right? So don't make empty threats, particularly big threats. Don't threaten something off in the distance. You're, you know, if your kid's acting up in the morning, don't threaten that they're not going to have dessert or they can't watch their TV time at night. It's, again, any consequence has to be swift and immediate and small. You cannot do these, you know, off in the distance or, you know, you're not going to go to, we're not going to go to the playground tomorrow. No way is your kid going to hold that. Yeah. And the most important thing is don't bribe in the thick of it. I know it's hard, but if you bribe your child once they're acting up to be good, you have just set the precedent and it's going to be really hard to turn that around. Yeah. The do's of external consequences. Again, it must be small, swift, and appropriate. It really has to fit the crime, you guys. Very small, very swift. If it's not within the the immediate minute after the action, it's not going to be effective. Your child, it's like a dog. Like you can't, and I've said that before, your average three-year-old and your average dog have the same brain development, right? Like if your dog pees on the carpet and you don't do something immediately or, you know, reprimand the dog, that you can't reprimand the dog later in the day. It's not going to work. Yeah. I'm a big fan of external consequences. Take away any item that is being used in the quote unquote crime. Yeah. If it's like food that's being thrown, take it away. If it's toys that are being thrown or whatever, take them away. Just eliminate it. Easy peasy. Nope. Sorry. You can't have this. I am also a big fan of toy timeouts. If you feel like you just need to offer something up as a consequence, right? You can use that, uh, a toy timeout. And you can also shut off electronics. There's a lot of misbehavior around electronics. There's a lot of kids who are like stuck in electronics and not listening. And there's a whole chapter about that. And I think we've talked about it in other episodes, right? But you can also just, you know, nope, sorry, TV's going off. You're being a pill, can't handle it. The biggest trick about external consequences and the thing that separates it from punitive action, and again, this is a hair of difference, but it's super important, is the warning. Okay, so if you, you, again, I'm a fan of one warning. If you keep throwing sand in the sandbox, I am going to take away, you know, we're going to leave or I'm going to take away that truck. You know, say you're at home and, and your child's hitting their sibling, for example, and you may have to make something up, right? That's not exactly the crime, right? Like if you, if your child's hitting their sibling, yes, you can take a time in, you can take a break, but you can't take away their sibling. So you may have to say, you know, if you hit your sister one more time, I am going to put your train up on the fridge. And so that is, that's, that's how you would do a toy timeout consequence, right? And that to me, that, that's pretty much the most effective way to do an external consequence. The thing is, it's in the warning, right? Because you're giving the child one more chance. You're giving them parameters to make a good decision. And we're going to do this throughout childhood, right? And even as your child gets older, like we, we give external consequences that aren't exactly 
fitting to the quote unquote crime because we know the crime is like it's too big or not doable. So, for example, when your kid's a teenager, you know, you may have to give them a warning that if they don't do their homework, they can't go to the movies on Friday night. Yeah. Now, the movie has nothing to do with the homework. But the homework, the ramifications of not doing the homework are extensive and and far reaching, right? So we give that consequence. And now what we do is we set the child up like, hey, you do have an opportunity here to do the right thing, make a good choice. And so we want to start that really young. And that's the big difference between external consequences and punitive action. Punitive action is the child hits the sibling and you just say, I'm taking away your train. Now that kind of comes out of the blue. It has the child hasn't had a chance or an opportunity to make a good decision. So I think as we close out, I think the big thing is we always want to lead with the idea that discipline means to teach. And that's going to look different in different situations. I couldn't possibly lay out every single scenario. What we are teaching is at the very base of it all. And it doesn't always have to be that we're teaching them some hippy-dippy notion. We're not teaching them just emotional wisdom. We're not teaching them, oh, by the way, I say hippy-dippy notion. I'm a big hippy-dippy, so it's not negative. I'm just trying to clarify, like, we have these, like, this parenting spectrum, right? But we're not always just trying to teach them emotional wisdom. Sometimes we're teaching our kids that we have limits, yeah? And sometimes we're teaching them that we have reactions, we have overreactions, and sometimes we're teaching them that, you know what, I am the boss in this household because I know more than you. I have more life experience. So sometimes we're just teaching them that, yeah? I want to leave you with this. Kids are highly resilient, okay? I can guarantee if you are listening to this podcast, if you have read my book, you are in the upper echelon of parenting. I can guarantee it. I can guarantee that you are trying your very best to have love and grace in your household. Your children know this. They know you love them, even if you lose your shit in the moment. And we all can lose our shit in the moment. It is okay. All you have to do is apologize, process your own emotions. Everyone loves to hear, I'm sorry. Teach your child that we all have moments of crazy emotions. And the best thing we can do is come back with love. That is what you can teach your child. So even if you do have an overreaction, even if you lose it, apologize, come back with love. All right, you guys, rock on. All right, I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book presale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.